Welcome to Esoteric of the Podcast, Famous Folk Series. Wood Wood! I'm Chris Schultz. Hi, I'm Aaron Christian. And we have a very, very, very excited guest tonight. Yes, um, we do. Totally nerding out over this. <laughs> um, directly from Deep Space Nine is Dr. Julian Bashir, otherwise known as Alexander Siddig. Siddig. Uh, Sid is best known from Deep Space Nine. Uh, he was also uh, played the role of Doran Martell in HBO's Game of Thrones. He's been in tons of movies. Um, fantastic guy. We're really excited to be talking to him. We're psyched. And um, Sid, uh, he actually picked a number of obscure albums, and uh, I, I'm, I'm going to list them on the website. Um, but we get into a discussion about um, neo-prog band Marillion and their 1983 debut script for a jester's tear um so we're getting into some prog tonight prog prog some good stuff because it's uh it's like a combination of everything that shouldn't go together yeah and it's themed what i always like about like they they're long extended songs and they they change they go through these themes they do they do very dramatic um and marillion um at least on their debut album, sounds a lot like Gabriel Era Genesis, which is my jam. So my jam. Uh, can you please pass the Polaner All Fruit? <laughs> if you don't get that ad because you're uh, under forty, um, which is such a hypocrite thing coming from me, Google it. Google it. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, let's let's jump into our conversation with Sid. So I want to thank our very, very special guest today. Uh, we have with us Alexander Siddig, best known as Dr. Julian uh, Bashir on Deep Space Nine, and more recently, uh, Doran Martell on Game of Thrones. Uh, welcome, Sid. Thank you for coming. You are very welcome. It's a pleasure to meet you both. Uh, as, as a big sci-fi geek um, and a Game of Thrones geek, uh, I, I can't tell you how psyched I am to have you here today, so thank you. No, this sounds great. This, the, the, the whole premise of this cast sounds really terrific fun. Yeah, we like it. We like yeah, it. We, we have fun. <laughs> we have fun here. Um, so how has the uh, pandemic impacted your life? Um, you know, different uh, from normal. Yeah. Um, hugely. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously I'm not going to be working for as long as it lasts, at least as long as we can't get, in, we can't get insurance to make a movie or travel anywhere with 200 people. Um, so that seems pretty unlikely unless we make a, 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 a you know, tiny little movie with five people or so. Um, so uh, you know, wearing masks all the time outside is, is no fun. Mm. Um, but I think really more the fact that it's transformed the world around me. And um, I think I've got sort of either got to adapt or sort of, you know, adapt or die. Um, and I, I think that uh, you ju we've just got to do the right thing. Um, and everybody has their own opinions to what that might be. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you've got to be cool with that too. You know, if you're pro-choice, yeah. pro-choice. Um, and I'm pro-choice pretty much along the lines of everything. Mm. So um, my wife is impacted a bit harder than I am um, because I'm a pretty... Uh, sort of lonely guy anyway I, I work around the world like last month I think I was away for five last year I was away for five months in seven different eight different countries and um, so when I get home that's I, you know it's my staycation I'm, I'm not leaving the house for nothing <laughs> um, and my wife just wants to party and uh, so we have to find an even balance but so because she loves to go out to dinner and 
lunch and all that stuff. Um, she's kind of a bit un unhinged by the whole thing of staying in and nowhere to go and have you know cheeky lunch somewhere. Mm. Um, and I think that you know just the scale of it. You know, I, I've heard that four months we have a hundred thousand deaths in the USA right now. Um, I'm in Western Massachusetts. Um, obviously, I live in England too some of the time. I used to live there full time until a couple of years ago, in fact. Um, and that's the, like the second worst hit country in the world. Mm. <laughs> the two English speaking countries are really getting it hit, hit hard by this thing. Yeah. And I think that I just think it's terrible. It's, it's, it's just the speed. Yeah. I think we had people compare it to the flu and the flu. They say, well, only, you know, 40,000 people die every year from flu. So this is nothing. Um, but that's all year. You know, that's a yearly figure. Agreed, mm -hmm. it's September till the end of May, or it's, it's, it's a fair amount of time. It's, a, it's, a, it's not the whole year. It's probably six months, but we're already lapping that. Right. Um, and I think we haven't seen the end of it. Yeah, I was, I was saying earlier, um, one of the things that I find strange about this, we're, we're actually in, um, Aaron and I are in, are in southeastern Massachusetts, um, and, you know, our state is one of the hardest hit in the country. Yeah. I, I think one of the difficult things for people is usually when you think of a disaster, it's an event that occurs, and then there's an aftermath where this is like a rolling event with no end. Yeah, yeah. Every morning you wake up, and it's still a different world from the one it was in February. Mm. And that's the most, that is just surreal, you know. Everybody is wearing masks when they come near you. It's just a bit, it's all, I don't know how it's going to get back, pivot back to normal in any time soon. I don't, I mean, I don't see people being comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Large crowds, you know, in the yeah. stadium um, without masks and cheering for their friends and sneezing because they have a cold and whatnot. So uh, it's, it's, I think this is, we just got to get ready for this being quite long term and another couple of years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we've seen some some interesting things come out of this. Um, we're we're a couple of small time podcasters. We started the show like two months ago, and I, I said to Aaron jokingly, "Wouldn't it be cool if we could get celebrities to come on and talk about their favorite I albums?" Had tons of them. Yeah, we're. Um, I think we've interviewed like ten people so far. Um, and if you had told me two months ago, I would have laughed right in your face that I'd be sitting here talking to Dr. Bashir today. Like, what the heck? Um, and well, you've done some... to COVID. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you've done something very interesting um, with your time. Uh, yeah. So, so your uh, Sid City Social Club. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So what inspired you to start that? Well, it was a kind of weird thing between Mel, uh, Melissa Lowry and myself. Uh, Melissa has run the club, the fan club for... Sid for Bashir. <laughs> I don't know who the hell she's running a fan club for, really. <laughs> but for for my for me as an actor, probably that's the way to put it. Um, for twenty five years now, and um, uh, we've never really come up with good ideas about what to do. But this particular confluence of events right now with the, this terrible virus, um, we both at the same time basically came up with the idea of um, doing a social club, where we thought that maybe some people would be pretty lonely. Uh, especially people who live alone. And it turns out that um, people do, do want to get together. And so we do four hours a week, two days a week, um, one for the East Coast and uh, Europe, and one for the West Coast and Hawaii and China. So because we've got people hooking up from all over the planet. 
and um, we can only fit 100 people in Zoom, so it's 100 people every every day we do it. And I think we've done it for, well, we've done it 12 times now, so that's uh, six weeks. And um, what really happens is that people don't really, well, they do want to say hi to me, and I talk for 15 minutes with each person. So it's a real discussion. And everyone else just has to listen. Um, but they just chat amongst themselves on a Zoom chat down at the bottom. And they're just communicating and hooking up and exchanging numbers and Twitter feeds and uh, handles and what whatnot. So it's um, it really is a social club. People get together to get together. And it's been really, really terrific and a real bomb. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw it and... Um... I, I was going to try to get in, and then when we talked to Melissa, and it sounded like we were going to get to interview you, I didn't want to take up one of those hundred spots because we, we got you one on one here. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's very kind. Of but but what a beautiful thing! I, that that's really really cool. Mm. It is. It is, and they're really lovely people. I mean, everybody's the one thing everybody's wowed by is the generous, welcoming spirit that everybody exhibits on that on, on in the club, and they and they just and we have. From, vast, from different polarities of character, characters and different polarities of age and um, kids and uh, elderly people and people who are very ill and people who are incredibly fit and well, people who run businesses, teachers by the plenty, good doctors, you name it. So it's a total cross-section. Um, and the only thing they have in common, most of them, is that they, because we don't, we don't publicize it, we haven't told it, I don't think anybody, um, that they must have somehow stumbled into someone who likes Deep Space Nine or Bashir or one of the shows I've done over the years. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. So it's all very organic. It seems to be. So far, yeah. we haven't had the Zoom bombers in yet. <laughs> <laughs> so passwords are four, right? <laughs> so the, the reason we asked you here um, today is one of the things that we do on our show is uh, usually Aaron and I take turns sharing with each other an obscure album. Um, and kind of our thought here was to to reach out to um, some notable folks and, and get an idea of what your jams are. And um, you mentioned Marillion's script for a jester's tear. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's not that obscure and uh, or that rare, but it's so from you know 1982. It's um, from a very long time ago, and not a huge amount of people bought it fresh. And uh, um, yeah, I got it. I got it at school, and uh, I was still at school. And it just blew me away. It's the kind of music that I absolutely love. And um, it, it's bonkers. I mean, it's it, you try and work out what the lines mean, and you're in kind of Alice in Wonderland territory. You can forget about that. So you've got to figure out what every what, what Fish is singing about at any given time, the lead singer. But it just was, it just arrived, bam, at the right moment, the moment I really needed it to. Because um, I was a sort of outcast at school, not an outcast, a loner. I had two friends um, over the period of five years. And one kind of helped me through the first two and a half years, and the second one helped me through the next two years. And then a girlfriend arrived who kind of solved everything. Um, but it was, it was just, I just think it's brilliant, brilliant music. And you, have you heard it? Yeah, I was listening to it. Um, you know, it's funny because it, I looked, Marillion was one of those, um, anytime I went into a record store, back when there was a thing like called record stores, uh, I would go buy their albums. It was always on my list of bands to check out. Uh, and I hadn't got around to it, so I was excited when you mentioned that. Um, it's just bonkers. I mean, what is it? 
the fool who escaped from paradise will look over his shoulder and cry and sit and chew on daffodils and struggle to answer why when you grow up and leave the playground where you kissed your prince and found your frog remember the jester who gave you his tears what does that mean right <laughs> what, what does that? it mean yeah and it's I, interesting i love like, it this album was uh, i think 1983 which is kind of when the the prog scene was kind of dying, and then right. this, and they come along and they got a little their lyrics are a little darker than um, typically what you hear in a prog band. Um, yeah, it's just a fantastic sound. Mm-hmm. I, I it you launched me on a whole night of my wife was cringing. She's <laughs> like, oh my god, we're going deeper and deeper here. Yeah. It's just amazing, and there are great great songs on the album garden party and she knows you know i mean they're just wonderful songs the song uh script for justice tear is 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 anthemic you know it, it it transitions a bit like radiohead transitions there are some of their early songs and um like paranoid android and it or uh, genesis seconds out which is like 23 minutes um and then we've got the phenomenal queen bohemian rhapsody these songs depend on transitioning. They, they start one way and they end you up somewhere else. And I just love that because I was a classical music fan. And I think that kind of tapped into the classical, kind of classical in a sense. And also Genesis started writing really bad songs uh, <laughs> yes. around that time. And that was, you know, when, when the, the um, Peter Gabriel kind of era, his influence rubbed off and Phil Collins really took over. It got poppy, and mm-hmm. I was a big fan of the non-poppy Genesis, you know, Foxtrot and uh, Nursery Crimes. And, oh my God, yeah. You know, the old, old songs that were just amazing. And again, nuts, crazy. No one knows what any of it means, you know. Hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, there's one, there's one couple of words from, from a song on the Seconds Out album. I think it's also on The Land Lies Down on Broadway, which is talking about Genesis. Um, it's called Carpet Crawlers, and it is my, it is probably my all-time favorite song from when I was a kid right till now. And the, the, the tagline, you've got to get in to get out, it still lives with me, and it, I still think of it. I still think that's how you should approach every problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, what it means, I don't know. Yeah, um, so yeah, Genesis started writing and, and Marillion just filled the gap beautifully because they were like Genesis in sound and, and, and they just took over where Genesis kind of left the building with albums like Abacab and Duke. I just wasn't, I just yeah. wasn't interested. It's funny, I just, um, I just found a, you know, there's a Simpsons quote for everything um, and there's a, there's a clip from one of the Simpsons episodes where um, I think it's Marge says, oh, that oh, Invisible Touch, that's when Genesis became popular but didn't sound as good. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. That's right. That's yeah. exactly what happened. I went to the I went to the only concert. I mean, the only I've only been to three or four concerts in my entire life. But in 1985, I went to three of them, and one was uh, Genesis, um, the Abacab tour. Uh, one was uh, David Bowie, the Glass Spider tour, and the other was Madonna, the Holiday tour. And they were all in Wembley Arena, Wembley Stadium, huge, huge venue. Um, it's like 60,000 people. And apart from Chester Thompson and Phil Collins doing a drum duet, which blew my socks off. I mean, blew me away. And I still will lazily look up on YouTube, Chester Thompson, 
Phil Collins, drum jet. Oh my and god, yes. You listen to that drumming <laughs> and you just like whoa. whoa, whoa. And I found Bowie the Glass Spider tour and um, Genesis uh, Abacab tour really disappointing because both Bowie and Genesis were great early on and then just got a little bit weirder as they got older and a bit more poppy, went through a poppy phase. Um, so we started yeah. thinking, Bowie started thinking, singing things like China Girl and I was like, no, I'm not there. It's just, I'm losing <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, I saw Genesis, I think, I, I want to say it was like 89 or 90, I saw them. And um, they did. They started to play "Supper's Ready," which is 28 minutes of probably one of the densest prog songs ever done. And they turned it into a medley and went into something else. Yeah, I remember that beginning absolutely dense. Yeah, so I was sad. I was like, "Oh, well, they're gonna play it," and then they shot off into something else. Yeah, I think. Mean, oh wait, I think the Abacab tour I saw in actually 1982, 80, 80, 82, because I went to Birmingham to watch the to, to watch Genesis. That was the fourth time I went to a concert. The one in '85, I can't remember what that, which one that was. Mm. Mm. And it was funny that you see because that was instantly when I put Marillion on that the first thing I thought was this sounds like Gabriel era Genesis, and you know sometimes bands are ripping off another band and it 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 doesn't work, but they evoke that nostalgia. Yeah, not just and that, like, but they do something different. I mean, Fish and Marillion did something. They added to the canon, if you like, that Genesis began and Pink Floyd. Yeah really began but uh, in the same way as muse that first two albums of uh, muse the super group now uh, mm. are, are really queen like you know and um even now you can hear queen in everything they do um but they they kind of when they were good the first i can't remember what the two first albums of muse were but i think one of them was called absolution and the other one was called fashion or something like that they're brilliant albums if anyone has listened to muse and gone i don't like this it's too trancey or too i don't know too too poppy um listen to those first two albums they're just fantastic albums um, but there's, mm. there's a lot of queen in there so i think everybody owes something to someone yeah yeah the brits that's where it all comes from that's all <laughs> the music no, see, but i also love foo fighters and i also love green day and i also love i mean there's so many fantastic american bands as well and when i was in los angeles in the 90s shooting star trek which, by the way, was when I discovered David Bowie. I didn't know him at all up until then, except for uh, that one concert, really, back in 85. I didn't really know his music. Um, and But I was listening to Counting Crows and Nirvana and, I mean, all kinds of groovy stuff coming out. And there was a DC punk scene that was kicking off uh, at that time. All kinds of good stuff coming out of both, both countries. But the Brits, you can pretty much rely on them to... to come up with something new every five years and something kind of mega band yeah what i always thought was interesting too about that scene like if you go back to to floyd and zeppelin where the brits took american blues and they were heavily influenced by that and instead of ripping it off or just co-opting it they completely transform it into a whole new genre of music absolutely absolutely well there was british blues that was a specific genre itself i don't know if you ever heard peter green and the uh and uh, fleetwood mac where I, I believe fleetwood mac began its days with this british blues guitarist called peter green uh, and it was a british band and then it evolved into just the fleetwood mac when he kind of i think he went a little nuts i'm not really sure if that's the appropriate word these days um but uh he couldn't be appear anymore in public but there's a, I mean, just get the greatest hits of Phil Green, Philip Green, uh, Peter Green, and the Fleetwood Mac, and you'll hear 
all of that bluesy guitar. I mean, he wrote Black Magic Woman, you know, and everyone thinks it was Santana. <laughs> so <laughs> he was coming up with great stuff. Hmm. Wow, that's awesome. So do you have a favorite track on the Marillion album? Uh, script for Jester's Tear. I mean, mm. I, I can, I, I sang you like the, the stanza that, that comes out. <laughs> I still remember it. And I'm 54 years, 55 years old now. And I, I, I heard that. I was listening to that regularly when I was, when I was 17. Um, so phew, I, that, stuck, that stuck with me. Yeah, it's amazing how it becomes part of your DNA. Um, after talking to you the other night, I, I was actually, um, when, when you emailed me about Genesis, I was watching um, Carpet Crawlers, the seconds live, the seconds out um, version. And oh, yeah, I, I hadn't like I there was a time in my life, all I listened to was Genesis, nothing else. And it's probably been about 20 years since I sat down and, and seriously listened to Lamb or any of those albums. And listening to Carpet Crawler, like I just started singing. I knew all the lyrics. It just come right back. Yeah, that's just such a great song, and it's so different on on Seconds Out than it is on Lamb's Down. And I prefer the Seconds Out version. So it's kind of that that separates Genesis fans because they either like the Carpet Crawler from Lamb's Down or the uh, Carpet Crawler from Seconds Out. Which is kind of what I, I find sad about the fact that they went puppy. Like Phil Collins does a fantastic job of singing Peter Gabriel songs. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, but you know, invisible right touch. Until, I think right up until the trick of the tail, it just was groovy. It was just really soulful, a very folk pop rock. I mean, all kinds of influences in there. Um, and then it just uh, started to get a bit. Uh, 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 uh. Um, yeah. And that wasn't so much fun. So, um, oh, by the way, Phil Collins lived next to me. That's, uh, he was actually my neighbor, really? my physical neighbor. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, I think he's since moved to another country, I think. But he was, my mother came to me, this is before I knew who they were, because I was about 14 when he moved next to me. And um, when I, I didn't get to know Genesis until I was about 16. Uh, but one of the reasons was he moved next to me. So my mother came to me and said, they're having a party next door. Um, it's a pop group called Genesis, a man called Phil Collins. Does he ring a bell? And I went, nope. She said, okay, I'll turn that down. And so we didn't go. <laughs> in fact, she complained <laughs> about him ruining our water in our little pond at the thing by sending all kinds of junk, putting all kinds of junk on his, on his garden flowers. So yeah, he had the house in the end of uh, Skiff Lane in Loxwood, uh, and uh, we had the house next to it called Hurst Farm House. And I think Mike Rutherford lived a bit further on down Skiff Lane too. They all hung out in that area. Eric Clapton lives in Chiddingfold, which is about four miles further northeast. Um, it's all very, because the Charter House, that school, but mm-hmm. they all, you know, mm. that was a thing. Oh, that's too cool. I can't imagine having Phil Collins as a neighbor. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, they, they all lived there. Um, it was, a, I, we moved down there. I mean, I think I was the only person not white within about 40 miles. This is the most white part of England. <laughs> You can find, and everyone thought that I must be, you know, I don't. My mother was taking someone. My mother's white, um, and was white. She probably thought they should be babysitting for someone. Oh, that's too funny. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, you have a movie in post production, Skylines. Um, oh. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, we shot that in Lithuania, um, and which is, by the way, astonishing. 
I mean, it's not, it would never have been on my list of countries to go to. A town called Vilnius, which is the, the capital. And boy, is it gorgeous. Rococo, fantastic restaurants. I mean, no one can travel anywhere. So there's not, no point in me recommending going mm -hmm. to Vilnius now. But it is a phenomenal place, really nice people. Um, and um, I got called up by these producers say, and uh, to ask if I'd uh, play uh, kind of one of the leads in this movie to play the kind of commander uh, of a group who go to another planet to deal with um, an alien invasion, something like we're experiencing now, but ours is more viral. Um, <laughs> and um, to say even much more than that is to really give it give it away. It's one of those characters that is like, oh, oh. And um, so, I, but it was, we had a lot of fun and I'm sure they've got some great special effects. And uh, and I, I think there's a series of them. I mean, this is like, I think there were like two before me, the two Skylines films. Um, and they just, really lovely people more action than drama it's not so much a, a, you know you've probably seen me in, in dramas where it comes to movies mm -hmm. um, not many action movies but this is pretty much one of those kick-ass yeah fight nice. that explains the three in the title i was Type trying to figure things. it out <laughs> oh was is there a three in the title yeah, yeah. The, the e is a three and i was like oh, what is that about uh, okay that makes sense yeah but it, it, I'm hoping it'll be great. I hope it'll be really entertaining. That's the point of it. And what, I know what have you heard about it? Because I haven't heard anything about it at all. Um, I just I, honestly, I was on IMDb and um, they're showing it as in post production. They didn't. There wasn't a lot of info about it. About it. Yeah. Well, they've been in post for quite a while now, so they should. They should be pretty close. Oh. Hmm. And I, I know this is a difficult question to answer because we don't know when or what the world is going to look like when we come out of this. Um, pandemic, but do you have anything in the works um, coming well, up? Well, I'm producing now. I mean, that's that's that, that's kind of my retirement. You know, I'm already preparing for the, the end uh, uh, of my career as an actor. You always have to because that's such an unstable career. Um, you just be, and also when you get to about fifty, you stop being leading man material. So there's really not much potential to do, to, to be that. Um, so I, I we're producing a couple of really wonderful shows um, and which means we just bought the rights to a couple of terrific novels and found some partners and uh, some writers and um, we're, we're, we're sort of close, really close on one to, to actually pulling the trigger and getting it to you know, going into production. So obviously limited by the fact we don't know when we can go into production. <laughs> um, but everyone's hoping that they can start shooting something at the end of fall. Um, which may or may not be possible, as long as it's shot in America or England for an English show. Um, and uh, I can say that they're really exciting for us, um, my partner and I, business partner, um, but I can't really say anything, anything about it because legally I'm not allowed to talk about, you know, give titles and stuff until, because yeah. that's up to the studios to actually say, and we're making this, not up <laughs> to me to go, and we're making this. So the studio will do that. Um, I'm doing little things that you can do from home, little voiceovers and things like that. Um, no, really, my career now is uh, you know talking to people in their houses um, on Zoom. Um, you know, our, our social club really is what what takes up most of my time, um, and gardening and stuff like that. And then I shot a movie last year 
um, for a wonderful um, director um, who kind of, uh, but I'm not allowed to talk about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but put it this way, one of the directors who directed, you know, five of the, you know, some of the best movies ever made in America, one of the top five American directors. And that took a long time, that took ages and ages. That's what took me to seven different countries last year. Oh, um, wow. Skylines took me to the eighth, which was in Lithuania. Um, but uh, so that's exciting. But I don't think that I think that's going to be edited. I'm told it takes a minimum of three years to edit his movies. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. And um, but you'll know soon enough. It'll be you know, it'll be out there. There it is. Cool. And I, I guess I should warn you. Um, be on the look. If you get a call from Josh Gad, don't answer it. Yeah, I don't know if you know he's been putting together um, reunions of casts um, oh. via Zoom, and um, I, I'm just getting it out there because I'd love to see a DS9 um, reunion. Absolutely, that would be great. He's that done would... Goonies and Back to the Future and a, and a couple others, but I, I think we need to see a, a DS9 reunion. That's a fantastic idea. Yeah, the only way I'm reuniting people is um, getting them on the social club. Uh, hopefully then our visit is coming tomorrow to tomorrow's event we've had andy robinson we've had uh ira burr the pr executive producer i'm gonna get Sirox to come and do something um so i'll work my way through the cast as, as, as and when i can if i can find colin meany i don't know what hole he's gone down i, I know he's still working but i have no idea where he is really hard to check out. that's awesome how are oh, you finding COVID experience the, uh, the COVID? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's been challenging. Um, we're yeah. both, we, Aaron and I work together in the real world outside of this. Yeah. And yeah. Um, we both, I think March 23rd was the last time that we worked. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we've been, <clears throat> fortunately, we found a creative outlet. So you have. What a great idea. And yeah. you both, you, and, and, and you're, you kind of, um, you both like, do you always do it at this in this venue? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for the most part. Yeah, that's great. It's really enterprising. Congratulations. Yeah, we're we're hoping it grows. Uh, I yeah. this is much believe me uh, for work. We wash and unpack rocks, um, <laughs> mineral <laughs> specimens. So like this is definitely much more exciting than yeah. No, that sounds fascinating. It is. It, it's pretty cool. I'll have to admit. Yeah. Um, anytime you see like amethyst or rose quartz or crystals in the store, they they were probably cleaned by us at some point. Wow. And do you, so rock polishing, is that tumbling you do? We, we get it already tumbled. A lot of that's done in South Africa or China. Yeah. I used to love that. I used to love, I used to have a tumbler. Someone gave me a, a rock tumbler. I, would, I lost interest after a bit because it took so long. And kids it does. Immediately. <laughs> um, yeah. But it was still amazing. You have to get mm. yourselves then, you're going to have to get, you're going to have to invest in, in, in one of these LED lights so that you've got, because you've got quite okay lighting, but not really good. So you're going to have to get yeah. two lights pop, pop from both sides and just light you guys up. That's why we're hoping this takes off. So we have a, we have a budget to get these things. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that <laughs> I, bought one, I bought one, a good one, a terrible one for 70 bucks, which just broke mm. uh, while I was on the Zoom the other day. I just went, ow. Oh. LED, the many, many LED lights, they're the ones to go with. And yeah. I bought a really good one for about 120, um, which is pretty good investment given the amount of time you've got to be on here yeah. and uh, yeah but that's that that's what i that's the only thing otherwise i think you guys have got it down and they've got the stormtrooper fate head right in the background there 
Yeah, and I had to bring this down. Uh, this is a uh, almost a screen accurate Rankagino mug. It um, is. <laughs> it took me a long time to find that. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, I'll just fantastic. sneak it in there. <laughs> um, so one thing I'll say um, before we let you go, um, I, I've got no complaints about DS9, one of the best shows ever. Um, and I, I know actors don't like to, to talk out against their work, but on behalf of Game of Thrones fans everywhere, um, I'd like to thank you for doing an awesome job of playing Doran Martell. You were criminally underused. Um, that well, whole Doran I subplot. To, I have to say that I couldn't possibly have done an awesome job because I didn't have anything awesome to do. <laughs> so I was completely <laughs> unchallenged. Um, but I have a feeling that, um, you know, these things happen. And I have a feeling that they once they hired me, they really, because everyone was quite excited. And they were, we were all looking forward to a thing, and I was going to do a season, et cetera, et cetera. But, and, and then I got a call saying, um, are you going to die? Uh, like, right away. Um, sorry, we've just changed our minds about how everything's going. And I think what they did before they really got going with that character um, is they realized they were going to end the show. In, in the next two seasons. So I was a loose end they couldn't afford to have to build up because they had real trouble I hear. My wife's a massive Game of Thrones fan and she watched all of the last season, which I didn't do. And she said the one thing that didn't work for her was it just didn't, it wasn't satisfying the way it ended. Too many problems not tied up. Uh, it was rushed. Square pegs forced into It felt like that. And the plot didn't kind of work as well as it should have done. And, um, and I, I hear that the last show was kind of famous. The fans all went crazy. This is not good yeah. enough. Um, and should you should reshoot it, et cetera, et cetera. So I would have just been an extra problem in that already minefield of problems they had. Um, so I think that's why I went. And it was a bit of a shame because it was really exciting, the whole um, dawn to the show, because it's such a different vibe um, to the yeah. rest of the the families who were all so that was that was a shame but hey we'll always have deep space now we'll always have <laughs> awesome <laughs> well Sid thank you very much um, for taking time out of your schedule to, to sit and talk with us today we really appreciate it I have really loved it thanks and uh, look forward Love to seeing you on more stuff I think it's a fabulous idea. I think you should, there's a lot more mileage in this. This, this, this unusual albums thing is really, really cool. Yeah, we're enjoying it. I'm, I'm partly for a selfish reason. Like I like music. I tend to listen to the same thing all the time. And I've been already in the short time we've been doing this, I've been exposed to tons of new music. Um, so yeah. I'm loving it. Mm, well, I've got to give you two recommendations. The other two recommendations I gave you because of the, and said you choose which ones you want to talk about. The, the Handsome Boy Modeling School, which is another really it's a pretty rare um, album So How's Your Girl, which is a brilliant title, um, is a fantastic, funny album, rap that is not rap as you'd expect it to be. It's not West Coast, East Coast rap. It's just kind of clever, tricksy, interesting. I recommend that to anybody who's interesting, interested. And a really rare album, which I've never met anyone who knows, is Apes and Androids. Um, Singing Blood Moon, which is a fantastic album. Good luck finding it. Cool. I'll check that out. Mm. Yeah. If we can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll find it. We've got our sources. Yeah. yeah we will. You will. All right. Well, thanks oh, again. Oh, oh.
You take care and uh, talk to you later. Sit out. Well, that was cool. Wow. <laughs> We're trying to bleed over each other. Nice. <laughs> Perfect. Ah, oh, thank you, Sid. That was uh, I, I really enjoyed that chat. Yeah, Sid's a cool guy. I I was hoping you were gonna do what you said, get up, and just go to wherever he was and stay with him. <laughs> stay with him because he's such a cool guy. Yeah, um, and you know, like I, I've been a lifelong Star Wars fan. Um, I really only got into to, as you wear your Tatooine shirt over here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, really only got into Star Trek in the last uh, like the last year. And out of all the series, like Deep Space Nine, really resonated with me. Um, so it was super cool to talk to Dr. Bashir. Um, so, hey, if you enjoyed that, um, check out Sid's website, um, sidcity.net. Uh, you can see all the things that he's been up to. Mm-hmm. And um, that's it for us today. Yeah, and be sure to check in next week on Esoteria Podcast, where we interview Brennan Moynihan. Captain Obvious. Captain Obvious. So, um... Check out that episode next Friday. And until then, have a great weekend and have a great week. See you later. Hi, I'm Alexander Sadek, and you should check out Esoterica, the podcast.